0: People who are living in cities represent a complexity of the human experience that we've never organized around. If you have a democracy and you need your public to be able to be engaged, you need to have a system for doing that, we actually don't have one for that kind of public.
1: Today on the podcast, we're exploring the world of civic design and reimagining what public engagement in demographically complex communities might look
0: like. There are no complete solutions. You have to learn how to make decisions in the midst of ambiguity, which means for you internally, you have to have your own dialogue with yourself.
1: I'm your host, Sarah Hansen. In this episode, I'm talking with an MIT professor who bravely navigates along the deepest rifts in our public discourse and who works with students and communities alike to step consciously into these spaces. My guest today is Professor Caesar McDowell, who teaches course 11312, Engaging Community. But before we get into our conversation, we wanted to pause to remember that so many of our OCW team members and probably many of you have lost people that they love over this past year. And so we're dedicating this last episode of season 2 to all of our loved ones and to all of yours and to all of those who carry their light forward. Professor McDowell approaches his work with community engagement like it's an art form. In fact, he's built an entire design framework for practitioners to shape and facilitate these engagements. But before we get into all of that, we need to understand the main problem his work seeks to address, his why, if you will.
0: Things are actually changing in this country. Our populations are changing. And right now in cities, I think we're just seeing that more pronounced than anywhere else, right? That the people who are living in cities just happen to represent a complexity of the human experience that we've never organized around. And if you have a democracy and you need your public to be able to be engaged, you need to have a system for doing that, we actually don't have one for that kind of public.
1: A lot of Professor McDowell's course and work center around the idea of democracy. But in this episode, when we talk about democracy, we're not talking about elections and voting. When Professor McDowell speaks of democracy, he's talking about the engagement, the communities, the conversations, the processes that we have as a public to come together and make decisions. And a lot of these processes that we traditionally consider democracy in action are a little outdated.
0: I'll tell you what I mean by we don't have a democracy that works for who we are. I'll give you an example of how we hold on to something as a way of thinking about democracy that does not serve us well right now. If you kind of go back to the founding of the country and you look at the original colonies, they weren't the original colonies, the people who came and occupied the land and created these opportunities for themselves here. And if you look at those, They created this thing that we hold as a myth today, which is this thing of the New England town meeting, town hall. But if we're really serious about looking at that, there were some things that were very true about that. It was mostly open to men who were property owners. Most of these people who were men and property owners lived in enclaves that shared a religious belief. Okay, so you take that as a core. And you then build processes around that core that allow you to come to decisions, right? Over time, what we've been doing is say, well, we don't want to be that exclusive. We want to let a few more people in. So we modify that a little bit more. And over time, that's what we've been doing. We've been modifying it more, modifying it more. And then you get to something like the presidential debates. And what do we have? What do we say is the way we let the public into this conversation? These televised town halls, they have no reality or connection to the complexity of who we are. But we hold on to them as our evidence that we are doing and engaging the public around a dialogue. So this is what I mean is we don't have it. We actually don't have a functioning infrastructure for democracy given the complexity of who we are. So that's what I mean by it. It's not just about voting. It's the infrastructure that allows people to do the work that the public has to do in order for our democracy to function.
1: The new infrastructure Professor McDowell was talking about here involves a shift away from the more traditional forms of civic engagement and participation. Professor McDowell's way involves looking at a given situation from multiple perspectives and then spending time to reflect on our own values and the needs of our community.
0: At one point in my life, I lived in Alaska, way up above the Arctic Circle. I was an associate superintendent of a new school system there that was the size of the state of Indiana, and a million villages, 5,000 people, no roads. Okay, so that's, that's the context, predominantly uh, Inupiaq. And there was this one instance in a village where we had a teacher who was actually not performing very well in the school and we were really concerned. The principal was concerned, we were concerned, and the teacher was Anglo, in this predominantly Inupiaq village. And we had decided to remove the teacher because this was the best thing for the kids, just wasn't performing well. And there was a meeting in the village where we talked about that and there was a lot of resistance. And so uh, the superintendent asked me to kind of go and try to find out what's going on. And so I went in these little villages, you could do it. I talked to almost everyone. (laughs) talked to a lot of people in the village. And here's what was happening. The school was saying, this person is not a good teacher. And people were saying, this person is a good teacher. And we couldn't reconcile. But what we learned when we started to kind of talk to people is that we were valuing the teacher in very different ways inside the school the good was really applied for the school system the good was applied to how well is this person taking care of the educational needs of the children for some of the people in the community teacher was a role good was the value to the community She was good for the community because of other functions she played in the community. And so we had this totally different use of language. And they knew that if she wasn't there as a teacher, she wouldn't be there because she'd have to leave. And so other values to the community would be lost. That kind of perspective taking, I think, is so required. And as we find ways to bring people together, we have to... You know, to start to construct mechanisms that allow people to do that kind of reflection and that kind of perspective taking in relationship to the other.
1: One of the challenges of getting people to practice tuning into different perspectives is a physical one. In our current political climate, how do we even get people with different perspectives in the same room?
0: So we've started this campaign that we're testing out now. It's called America's Path Forward. In the campaign, we're actually reaching out to people in the public and we're asking them to do one thing, and say two things. One is to donate the question they have about the future of America and the experience in their life that led them to that question. And then what we do is we bring people who have similar questions, and sometimes not, into small conversations. And in those conversations, all people are doing is sharing their question, sharing their experience, and what people find is, when when they go into these rooms with people who have similar questions, they're surprised at who's in the room, because the thing that they hold as what's theirs, they're realizing, well, there's a different set of people who actually hold this too, and then when they hear different experiences, they're beginning to realize. Well, this question manifests itself in totally different ways, right? It's the same question, but it's living out differently in our society. And for me, this is a way of helping the public build its own kind of reflection and connection to others. And what we try to get people to do at the end of these conversations is to say, if you could reframe this question so that if it was addressed, it would more likely attend to the different ways you're experiencing. How would you reframe the question? Just getting people to start to think that way, holding the public as curious intellectual beings and encouraging them in that, to say, yes, this is hard work, and yes, you can do it.
1: Professor McDowell has worked with a team to create a tool for having better public conversations. The tool is called the Civic Design Framework. I was curious about how the design element fits into this kind of community engagement work.
0: Yeah, so when I think about community engagement and design, the reason I put those two together is to talk about the purposefulness of how we go out in the world and create engagement processes and that they actually are designed and can be designed, right? The main thing I'm trying to get people to pay attention to is when you're putting together an engagement process, you have the ability to construct it for certain kinds of of outcomes and processes that you want to have happen and the connections you want to have happen. Therefore, that's a design challenge, right? Given the population you work with and the issue you're going out to the public with, how then do you construct that, the sets of things that can happen so that they actually allow you to bring people, not just close together, but also what i like to say is help people, the public build its muscle for democracy.
1: The Civic Design Framework gives us a way into these conversations that are central to having a truly functional democracy. Professor McDowell teaches the framework to students in 11.312, Engaging Community.
0: We really use the Civic Design Framework as a tool for organizing thinking and projects. And the framework really has two components to it. It's based on the notion that part of the issue of bringing the public in to any engagement process is we're not clear about what conversation we're inviting them into. Our problem in our public discourse and engagement process is we often invite people into one conversation and then when they get in the room, we set them up for another. So we will say to them, come imagine a new Sarasota, Florida. And you go into the room and you have three choices to make. So basically you set people up, right? And No wonder people are really dissatisfied. The other thing why it's important to know which kind of conversation you have is that they each require something different. If you want to be in a framing conversation with someone that's totally different, you're using really different cognitive structures than if you're in the ideation process, right? Because in the ideation process, you're trying to ignite imagination. In a framing conversation, you're really trying to deeply understand experience and what's happening in the world. So those are very different, right? And so if you don't know what kind of conversation you want to have in the public, you're not going to design it the right way.
1: What's really exciting about Professor McDowell's class is that he doesn't just teach the theory of this civic design framework. Students are also invited to bring forward actual cases from the communities with which they're already engaging, where they can implement the design framework in real life.
0: I always try to generate this opportunity for students to say, here are the things we want to work on, and then to negotiate among themselves which ones they really want to move forward on. We did one in Mexico, and that one is actually interesting. It was a former alum of our department who had just stepped into this major role in a new government in a town in Mexico. And they had got there through kind of a popular you know, all grassroots campaign, and now they wanted to figure out how do we carry that into a structure, into governance, that actually allows to keep the public involved. And so the class is really helping them through that design. So it's always that kind of some problem, some place where people are trying to figure out how to broaden and diversify how they're engaging with the public.
1: One of the realities of collaborating with real people and real communities is that practitioners often find themselves in situations where solutions are complicated and sometimes not complete. Professor McDowell offered some important words of wisdom for practitioners new to fieldwork.
0: I think it's not just this course, but any real practice-based course that puts you out into the field, there are a couple of things that you have to continue with. One, there are no complete solutions, (laughs) Right. You have to learn how to make decisions in the midst of ambiguity. You just, you know, you have to do it, which means for you internally, you have to have your own dialogue with yourself to understand how you're holding onto the things that you believe, even though you're not able to really achieve them, right? Within the midst of any one project or any one initiative, but you still not letting it kind of get to you. And one of the ways we talk about this is I make a real distinction in our class around how we talk about things. So, for example, you know, in our society, we're really good at what I would say this kind of language of evaluation, you know, how well something is or not. And we're also good at the language of critique, which is different than the evaluation. And we're really good at this language of possibility, right? You know, we're really looking into the future. What we're not really good at is talking about the reality of what I call the language of transition. And the reality is, we have things we want to do, and as we're trying to do those things to change systems we want to be different, we have to support the systems that we're trying to change. And so we live in this in-between space, a space called partner. that's where we live. And in that space, we have to learn how to talk to each other. And this is why I always use these terms, like grace and stuff like that, because it's a recognition that that's where you are. So in my class, I try to support folks being able to talk about their, about what they're living with in the middle, what they're having to hold on to that they don't necessarily feel good about, but they know they have to do it as they're trying to do this other thing and to support them through that kind of conversation. This is a reflection of the transition you're living in and just a recognition of that and honoring it and letting it be okay, right? It's almost being able to have A dialogue of forgiveness with yourself.
1: I wanted to know what these engagements look like in practice. So Professor McDowell shared with me one example that took place in my very own city of Cambridge, Massachusetts. The dialogue was around domestic violence and how the city could better address the issue. And the engagement was simple. Professor McDowell and his team asked residents of Cambridge to donate a question they had about domestic violence.
0: Think about domestic violence. That is not a public conversation. Right? That is not a thing that people talk about. Because we have this structure of all you have to do is donate a question, a group of young people from Cambridge, and Latin set up a booth in Harvard Square. They put up a board, and they made cookies. And they just basically had a thing, a cookie for your question. And people would write their question about the next and put it on the board and get a cookie. And then people started having conversations in public about what's on the board and what they're hearing, right? So you're taking something we don't talk about and moving forward. At the same time, what we did is we took all the questions that came in printed them out, very large, and we had a space in Cambridge that we could use where we put all 2,000-something questions up on the wall. And we created a public event for people to come in, read the questions, and sit down and have conversations with each other about what they were seeing and hearing. And then we had people from the public come in and say, let's figure out, can we organize these questions in certain kinds of themes and issues? And then we had conversations with people about those themes and issues, right? So all this is like taking something that we don't talk about and creating an opportunity for people to do it Because you're, in some sense, recognizing that everyone has something to say about this, right? But if you do it in the right way, you don't try to tell them what they have to say or how they have to say it. You just create that opportunity that equalizes voices, people step up.
1: This idea about equalizing voices and bringing everyone to the table is incredibly important in Professor McDowell's work. One specific aspect of his design framework speaks directly to this idea. It's built on the notion of equity, and it's a concept he calls Designing for the Margins.
0: And the reason I use this concept of Designing for the Margins is our default and everything we do a kind of design is designed for the middle, where most people are. And we do that because we want to scale. We want things to grow fast. We want to make sure we're taking care of a lot of people. But the thing about when you design for those that are in the middle, you're mostly designing for people who, you know, more or less can operate within the systems that are there. And then what that ends up doing is pushing people on the margins further and further out. And as other things in our systems fail, we end up putting more and more people into that margin. And by the margins, I mean those who are living with the failures of the society. And so if we're going to attend to that, and actually bring their voices in, we have to first design opportunities and engagement processes that work for them first. Because those in the middle will find their way into that because they have the resources, the opportunity, they know how to negotiate the system. The other thing when you design for the margins you do is because they're clearly living with the failures of the systems, you're able to design around the things that would normally keep people out. So it's a purposeful thing that actually benefits more people if you actually do that. And we have instances of that in everyday life that show us that, you know, some physical ones, you know, like the curb cut, right? The curb cut was a thing that came up very particular movement from the disabilities community decades ago to create some access and a lot of fights to get it done. But the interesting thing about it is you look at it now and you say, well, who benefits from that? That's a design for a very small population in the country. Who benefits from it? Who uses it? Well, anybody rides a bicycle, pushes a trader, carries a grocery cart. Stroller. Right? Strollers, right? It's all there, right? But that's not what it was designed for. It was designed for a margin, but yet all these central activities that people involved in what I've called life in the middle are able to benefit from that too. The interesting thing about it and why I'd actually like to use that example is what have you noticed about changes in curb cuts in the last decade? They have bumps on them now. They have texture to them and they have texture to them because it helps people without sight to know if they're coming to it a corner. So the thing about designing for the margins, it's not a thing that you achieve, it's a thing that you're always working in, because the margins will keep emerging.
1: If you're anything like me, you may be thinking to yourself that this is exactly the kind of work that our country, and really our planet, could use more of — better, more open, more connected ways to engage groups of people around complex issues and a design framework that allows us to keep working at those issues. Part of what I love about Professor McDowell's work is that it's grounded in doing the hard work of community and community together.
0: The way that our systems are set up right now, they really are designed to keep people apart, to disconnect people from each other or groups from each other, right? And they draw these false dichotomies. But in reality, people live with a much more complex set of things all right. So, for example, you take the movement for black lives and you take the way that in a very powerful way using the notions of defunding the police, you know, some of the views and others to change what policing is. All right. Because they have seen the evidence over and over again of the devaluing of black lives within the midst of the police. However, even with that same experience, knowledge base, you can go into the Black community and people have very different feelings about do we defund the police or not. The trading off of there, I know there's a risk, but that risk is in here and it's out there and I don't know how to balance it. I don't know what to do about that, right? When we put things in our either or, then we really lose the opportunity to really connect people or to create some opportunity for people to acknowledge what's the complexity that's out there and how do you negotiate that in a way that doesn't leave people behind or leave them to the side, I should say. And you know, you can use policing as some, you can use what's happening with vaccinations as another. There's a lot of things that are just structured and the way we talk about them in the public doesn't recognize one thing that we know is really true our values kind of are in a continuum. And what we're always doing is trading off one for the other. We're going back and forth, right? People are looking at things and they're looking at that value versus another value versus another value. And why that's important for public conversations is if we can step away from saying, your value is this and mine is that, and you can get people in the space to realize, oh, this is how you're trading off this set of values, and this is how I'm trading them off. Then, what you realize is people are holding, have within their, the same values. They really are just shifting and weighing them differently at different times. And that creates more of an opportunity for people at least to see the other. They may not agree, but they begin to see the other. And that's, you know, in our society where so many groups of people have been so dehumanized, our first step is to let people be seen.
1: Through all the social upheaval and the many defining events of 2020, Professor McDowell has continued to spend a lot of his time engaging with students. He often works with smaller class sizes so that he can develop the close relationships he feels are essential. This kind of close contact allows him to see into students' lives beyond the classroom, and he shared with me some insights into what he's seeing and what educators can do to help.
0: I think students are dealing with a lot right now, and it's not just because of COVID. I think our society is in a huge transition. You know, I can't tell you how many students I have right now who don't feel connected to their families anymore because of what's going on politically in this country. That disruption that people are sitting with. And so then you ask, how do we as educators, knowing they're sitting with this, help them to actually move forward in a way that I was going to allow them to be generative with other people in the communities they work with and also find their own path and so for me teaching always has to be grounded in reality you have to be working with others who are actually dealing with the problem or the issue or who want to do something and you just have to work with them and it really is about lifting up and supporting people through that process of working with others and working with yourself. In some ways, a lot of my teaching is, yes, it's about substantive issues, but it is also about helping people develop not only just a theory or practice, but a reflective strategy for themselves as they move through their careers and through their lives.
1: There's a lot of excitement about Professor McDowell's work and teaching, So we had some really wonderful listener questions sent in for this episode, and we're excited to share two of them with you now. Here's one a listener sent in. For people who are used to having privileged access to policy discussion and implementation spaces, what habits should we watch out for? Are there subconscious attitudes or behaviors that get in the way of including historically excluded people?
0: That's a really beautiful question. I think the number one habit we have to watch out for is a habit that we actually understand the issue, right? That we fully understand it. We have to make space for people to be able to reframe the issues. We understand it. If we hold onto our frame from that position, we will never really fully be able to include others. So for me, that's the, the critical issue and that means we have to make time and space for that and that pushes against so much of what we, you know, what we in these policy areas think about because we got to do everything we got to do it we gotta do it and we got to get it right And I think the mantra should be we're going to do something we're not going to get it quite right. We can take some time to maybe understand it a little different. We're going to do something then. we're not going to get it quite right we're going to take time to understand it differently. (laughs) You know, it's like, because that's the reality. It is the reality. So we have to acknowledge it.
1: And to close, one more listener question, one that very well may have been on your mind while listening. Is it easier or harder to have difficult conversations in small groups or large town hall settings? How do we scale up dialogues, How do you adjust the questions, the tone, the pacing to accommodate large and diverse audiences?
0: I'm a firm believer in small-scale dialogues to deal with really difficult issues. If we try to do it in large-scale audience, we, one, you can't have everyone's voice in there, which means you're inevitably silencing certain people. And I'm not saying don't do large-scale events, because it's good sometimes just to sit in a place and listen and hear and and watch others. That has value. But the transformational piece for everyone, I think, is being in small space dialogues with others. I think we need work in turning our technologies and designing our communication systems to support that kind of listening and conversation. And that's not what we have, right? They're driven by other things. And that's one of the problems with them. So I think we can get there if we shift our attention, our design attention to that. And the reality around it is, all of our incentives for creating things like that are in the opposite direction. You know, <laughs> you know it's like it's really hard to build technologies that are designed for the margins that are going to actually scale, right? Because you have know, all these other things going on. It's a challenge. I don't think it's a challenge that can be met.
1: If you're interested in learning more about Professor Caesar McDowell's work or teaching with his open educational resources, you can check out his course, 11.312, Engaging Community, on our MIT OpenCourseWare website. You can also listen to his podcast, We Who Engage. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in for our second season of Chalk Radio. We hope you enjoyed these episodes and will consider sharing this or any of our other episodes with a friend, family member, or colleague. We have more in store for Season 3 and are already working hard to bring you more episodes to inspire your teaching and learning when Chalk Radio returns in the fall. Signing off from Cambridge, Massachusetts, I'm Sarah Hansen from MIT OpenCourseWare.